0: On this New Year's Eve, I'm Scott Carlin. I'm the executive pastor here at First Baptist Church. And as you can tell, I'm not Tom. But uh, Tom's been preaching. Uh, he's been Gatlinburg, and he was in Branson doing conferences this week. And so he's been traveling a good bit. Micah didn't get the memo. Tom's not in the house. It's When he said that, I was looking back, going, well, maybe he came in. Why am I preaching? But... Uh, This morning, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to talk about the background of this passage to help us understand a little bit about what's going on. So in Mark chapter 8, verse 14 through 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Now, the background of this trip in the boat you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, and there's the feeding of the 4,000. And then you also need to go back to chapter 6, and there's the feeding of the 5,000. These are the two miraculous miracles that Jesus is referring to in this passage of Scripture. In both of those miracles, Jesus takes very meager substance, five loaves, two fishes, and a few same thing in the 4,000, and he multiplies it countless times. What I want you to understand as the basic principle of this part of the sermon is that Jesus is the bread of life. That's going to be the point of these two miracles that He does, or that He did in in the in the previous time before He gets into the boat with His disciples. John, John, chapter six. Jesus explains these feedings, these miraculous. Uh, creating out of nothing miracles that he did when he fed these thousands of people. So in John chapter 6, this is what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If a man eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Again, the main point that Jesus tried to communicate to the crowds and the multitudes that he fed was he was the bread of life. He also tried to communicate that to the disciples. There's a passage of scripture that I hope will help as we understand what Jesus is trying to communicate in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. This is what Moses told the children of Israel when they were in the desert wanderings. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, and did your fathers know, that he might make you know. Now listen to this, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's real interesting, too, when Jesus goes into the wilderness after his baptism. He goes in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's fasting. At the end of the fast, Satan comes and tempts him. And the first temptation is turning stones into bread. And Jesus uses Deuteronomy chapter 3 to combat that temptation when he says, man does not live by bread alone. Jesus is the bread of life. The crux of that, the heart of that, is that physical needs are not what life is all about. Let me put it another way. There's more to life than physical needs. There's a spiritual foundation. It's Jesus. And if you, ever, if you never understand that principle, you're always going to be hungry. C.S. Lewis Tom's favorite friend, writes about this in his book, Mere Christianity. I want to read a couple of paragraphs from that to help us formulate an idea of exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. They could set up their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy or make him whole. He then explains why our independence from God just doesn't work. God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. You can hear his British accent coming out. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So I want to go back to so the point that Jesus tries to make in both of these feedings, these miracles, it's different place, different time, different people, but the same message. He is the bread of life. To help us understand this is the fact that, as, as the passage in Deuteronomy talked about, when the, when the wilderness wanderings happened, the children of Israel... Every day of their life for 40 years received manna from heaven. Now, in Hebrew, manna means what is it? They didn't know what it was. We don't know what it was. But it was some kind of wafer-like substance that tasted like honey that provided them nourishment every day of their lives for 40 years. It was the staple of their diet. And they were only to collect what they needed for that day. No more. If they collected more than they could, they could have as much as they wanted, but if they they could not collect more than they could eat, because if they collected more than they could eat, it would spoil. It wouldn't last to the next day. But then miraculously, God would then again provide for them every morning manna. Now on the Sabbath, they were also to collect for two days. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Because see that was a physical reality, but there was a spiritual principle that was under it. God was their provider. they had to learn that they had to depend on him. He would provide for them. Jesus is the bread of life, but there 's something else in this passage that Jesus is trying to communicate to the masses as he feeds them, but also to his disciples. The second thing comes out of these parables, these out of these miracles is that Jesus is enough. And he references this in the discussion in the boat because he asked the disciples a question that they knew the answer to. How many basketfuls were left over? Well, in the feeding of the 5,000, which was really probably close to fifteen to 20,000 people, there were 12 basketfuls left over. Now, we're not talking about small basketfuls. These are like, like big baskets that you could fit a man inside. This is a massive amount of food. And the same with the 4,000. Seven basketfuls left over. The point is that Jesus was enough. The people came to Jesus famished, and they left full. We're talking about a time and in, in an age where hunger was a reality. Most of these people had probably never really been full not like this, not to have this kind of extravagance, not to have this kind of abundance. But Jesus was trying to communicate the principles that not only was he the bread of life, he was enough. Now, this is the backdrop to the passage of Scripture that we just read. Because what happens after the feeding of the 4,000, and if you've got your Bible, you can follow along, Jesus and his disciples get in the boat, and they travel across the Sea of Galilee to another place. And Jesus gets out of the boat, and immediately after he gets out of the boat, he's confronted by the Pharisees. And what do they want to know? They want, him, they want Jesus to show them another sign. In this passage of Scripture, this is, in, this is right before the passage we read. This is in 11 through 13. But Jesus, it says in verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got in the boat again, and went to the other side. What I want you to understand, this is not the focal point of the sermon, but I want you to understand this. This is probably one of the most frustrated times that Jesus has ever been. They're always asking for a sign. But yet, the signs that they see will never be enough. It's a sobering thought to think about that the Son of God would be so frustrated that he would turn around and walk away. But that's what he did. And in fact, if you read the parallel passage in Matthew, what you find is that Matthew say, and Jesus says in Matthew, the only sign you're going to get from now on is the sign of Jonah, and that means his resurrection. Never again will these folks ever see a sign or a miracle that Jesus will perform, that Jesus will do. Their hearts were so hard, he turned around, and he walked away. Now this is all the backdrop to this passage of scripture that we come to here in verse 14. So look with me in verse 14. So now Jesus gets back in the boat with the disciples, and they begin the journey back across the Sea of Galilee. But look at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Does anybody see the humor in this? <laughs> I mean, less than 24 hours before, Jesus had provided so much bread that they had seven basketfuls left over. Now, you can't tell me there was not a lot of finger pointing in that boat. Peter, were you supposed to bring the bread? Not me. I thought that was you, James. No, I think it was John. Well, how much bread do we have? We got one loaf. What are we going to do? (laughs) the irony, the humor of the reality that they're having this discussion, and you read the parallel passage in Matthew, this discussion is consuming them in the boat. They are consumed with the fact that they don't have bread. Who's in the boat with them? What had just happened less than 24 hours before? But before we're too hard on the disciples, let's think about our own lives. How often do you and I face some type of circumstance, some type of situation, some type of medical report that we are overwhelmed with? And what do we do? We talk to a friend, we look on the internet. We try to get advice. We try to come up with a plan. And finally, when we have come to the end of our resources, what do we eventually come to the realization that we need to do? We pray. When rea- the, the reality is we should pray first. The disciples should have first, before they began to discuss the fact that they didn't have bread, the first thing they should have done is to say, Lord, what do you want us to do? We we messed up. We forgot bread. We only have one loaf. This isn't going to feed us all. Now, we don't know what Jesus would have done, but they didn't ask. Well, that's not the point of the sermon, but I thought that that was pretty real there. So what happens? Jesus begins to caution them. He is so frustrated with them. I think he's frustrated because he just came off of this discussion with the Pharisees. And here he sees the same hard-heartedness that he saw in the Pharisees and his disciples. But he knows their hearts aren't hard. But they're not getting it. So what's he say? Verse 15. He cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, what's Jesus talking about? They think he's talking about the bread. (laughs) They can't get over the fact that they're talking among themselves going, when he said leaven, is he talking about the bread that we don't have? But what Jesus was talking about, where there are these two things, and these are examples, of the things that will distract that will pull your heart and my heart and their heart away from the reality that Jesus is the bread of life and he's enough. The leaven of the Pharisees was just that. It was a religious system. Now, I'd hate to ask for hands, but let's just be honest. How often do we often come to church and mail it in? How often do we easily slide into religious activity, but our hearts are not connected, our hearts aren't open, our hearts are not seeking, and oftentimes we've just fallen into a religious system. Well, Jesus is saying, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. It can distract you. It can take your heart's affection or your heart's devotion and make you feel like you've done whatever you're supposed to do, but in reality, you haven't connected with God. But then he talks about the leaven of the of Herod. And that's a representation of what it means to live in a materialistic worldly world where there are so many things that pull at your attention, your devotion, my attention, my devotion, my affection and before I know it I have become distracted and the last thing I think about is the spiritual reality that Jesus is the bread of life and that he's enough it's real easy to fall into the leaven of, the, of Herod. And Jesus is warning them. He said, don't do it. Don't get distracted. Right now you're so consumed with this physical reality that you don't have bread that you can't see what's right there in front of you. But then he goes on and he asks, to me, three rhetorical questions. And there, I believe when he said this, there was a pregnant pause uh, in the, The midst of. And look what he says in verse 17. And Jesus said, Aware of this, and said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Now look at verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And I bet there were crickets. But then he says, Do you not? Remember? Now, in the immediate context, I think he's talking about the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, but I think it's much broader, longer, deeper than that. Because let's think about what they had seen. Oh, my, what they had seen. If you go back through the pages of Mark, you'll see, man, that night that Jesus, after the Sabbath was over, in the Little town of Capernaum, everybody that was sick came to him and he healed them. They had seen him calm a storm. They had seen him heal a leper. They had seen him heal a blind man. They had seen him heal a man with a withered hand. They had seen him heal and bring back to life Jairus' daughter. They had seen a lot, and that is just a fraction of the things that actually happened. Oh my, they had seen. But what did they heard? Oh, they'd heard him in the Sermon on the Mount. They'd heard him at the Bread of Life discourse. They had heard him countless times over and over open up the Word of God, and he made the Word of God come alive. It says in the Gospels that when Jesus talked, the people said he talked like one with authority. Now, I don't know about you, But most Sundays, if not all Sundays, I sit over there and my heart gets, it comes alive as Tom preaches God's word. Were you here last week when he talked about Boaz? (laughs) Didn't your heart burn? Didn't your heart, it was touched? Oh my, had they had heard. But then he says something. Do you not remember? This is the one that got me. I think, of course, he's talking about what had just happened in the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. But I think it was much broader and deeper and longer than that. Because each one of them remembered different things. It was those moments that they had been with Jesus. Jesus. And he knew what was in their heart, and he loved them anyway. It was those moments that they had been with Jesus when he became very, very real, and they realized deep in their life that he was the Son of God. There were those moments of compassion and love and forgiveness and restoration that they remembered See, memory is a very important spiritual principle throughout Scripture. Memory is a choice. When the children of Israel walked across the the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, Joshua instructed them to go and get twelve stones and erect a memorial. And that memorial was to be a testimony of the fact of what, how God had provided, how He had been faithful. Because long after the experience had faded, but they could remember. Memory's a choice, memory will help you get back to what you've seen and heard. I remember. I was 22 years old, and two years before, I had gone on a basketball mission trip with a group of guys, and we'd gone to Paraguay and Brazil, and that trip, man, that trip grabbed a hold of my life. It was the first time I'd ever shared my testimony with somebody and led somebody to the Lord. I was around a group of guys that lived Christ, loved Christ. Man, it began to shake the foundation of what, my, what I thought vocationally I was going to do, and I began to struggle with a call to ministry. I graduated from college. Wasn't sure what to do, but I was offered a job, and I went to work. And here I came to the point in my life, and I was about to get engaged, and I had been offered a promotion, but I sensed in my life that God was calling me to ministry and to go to seminary. So one night, my parents lived in a house next to the church. My dad was a pastor, and in the parking lot behind the church, on a telephone pole, was a basketball goal with a street lamp. And I shot baskets for a couple of hours and dealt with God. God became real for me that night in a way that I'd never experienced before. I, I remember pouring out my heart to the Lord and telling him about all the reasons why he was crazy calling me in the ministry. Because I, I couldn't think of one thing that I could do. and i and i could and i had all this stuff and i remember just pouring out my heart to the lord and in the, under that street lamp man i felt the presence of god i remember i want you to turn with me to psalm 78 see memory remembering is a choice. You have to choose to remember. And memory and remembrance is all throughout Scripture. In Psalm 78, verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel when he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them The children yet unborn, and arise and tell to their children so that they could set their hope in God, but keep his commandments and not forget the works of God. Now, what you see in this passage of scripture is a whole history of Israel's struggle to remember. But in this particular, on these particular verses, What God is talking about is that generation after generation, so there are multiple generations talking about the works of God. And as they talk about the works of God and the ways of God, what points them to is to remember then the character of God. And when you can see God's actions and remember what he's done in the past, what that moves your heart to, it recalibrates your heart so that not only do you remember how God has acted in the past, it points you to his character, to his faithfulness, to his love, to his provision, to his care. You, you, you are reminded of who he is and what he is. So that allows your heart to calibrate and set your hope on the future. I hope you have faith conversations in your home. I hope you do. When my kids were little, we started out, we did it around the dinner table. And I realize eating dinner is a challenge these days to find time with your family. But don't give that up. And when you talk around the dinner table, Talk about God. Talk about his faithfulness. Talk about what he's done in your life. It will recalibrate your heart, but it will do even more. It will set the tone for your children because let me tell you this. That is space that will be occupied by something. And if it's not occupied by the the acts of God and the work of God and the ways of God and the character of God, it will be occupied with something that is far inferior. And we have an enemy and we have a world that wants to fill that space with something else other than who God is. So have God conversations in your home. There's something else in this passage, in this chapter. In verse 9, it says, The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Now, here's a half-tribe of Israel, armed for battle, ready, ready and ready. Going into battle, but they turned back. Why did they turn back? Because they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they were disobedient. Why were they disobedient? Because they forgot. <laughs> Remembering is a choice. And the more you remember of God's work, of God's ways, it points you to his character. And it nails down the reality that Jesus is the bread of life. And man doesn't live by bread alone. There's something else in this passage. Look with me in in verse 40. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again. They provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when they redeemed them from the foe. Now this word provoked can also be limited. They limited God. Well, how in the world did they limit God? It's not that we can control God. But you see what happens when you and I choose to not remember God's ways and his works and we, and we forget his character, what happens is that God, our view and our understanding of God begins to get smaller and smaller. And if we're not careful, what happens is the God that we worship looks a whole lot like us. Because we begin to see our life, the way, he's, the way we think about how God works, we see it what is practical, what is conventional, what is logical, and we don't live a life of faith. Why? Because we forgot. We forgot. They forgot. And because they forgot, they became afraid. Why would they become afraid? Well, they were disobedient. You've got to remember. Oh, I remember. I remember I was 29 years old. I had a four-month-old son. My wife dropped suddenly to the floor in the bathroom of my parents' home. She had a brain aneurysm. We rushed her to the emergency room. Within twenty-four hours it declared her legally dead. I remember when I, coming from being told that my life was legal was officially brain dead, and I got into the elevator and I went down to the first floor and I walked out of that elevator. And who was standing there was one of my best friends in the whole world. I had been in his wedding, he had been in mine. He was also one of the best friends of my first wife. They had grown up together. He had driven 10 hours all night long, and he and his wife got there, and right when I opened those doors, he was standing there. And it was the one thing, more than anything else, that I needed at that moment, I remember. I remember a year and a half later meeting Sheila. She had also lost her first husband after a three-and-a-half-year battle of cancer. And we fell in love, got married. She adopted Jared. It wasn't a few weeks after we'd gotten married, I got a phone call from a dear friend of mine who had lived three doors down from me at seminary, he and his wife. And he told me that from the moment that he had heard about my first wife's passing, that he and his wife, and they had a little boy who was a little little bit older than Jared, that they began to pray every night, every night, that Jared would have a mother and that that mother would love him like his first mother did. I remember. Oh, I remember. And I could go on and on and on how I've seen God be faithful, how I've seen God provide, how I've seen God heal, how I've seen God deliver. I've seen marriages come back from the brink of destruction to be healthy and whole. Oh, I remember. And when I remember, my heart gets recalibrated to where I believe once again in God's faithfulness, in his character, in his love, and the fact that he doesn't change in the reality that he's the same today as he was yesterday. I remember. And I hold on, and my heart is full of hope and faith. And when I think about 2024, I realize God's already there. There's nothing that's going to catch him by surprise. Surprise. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's the God who is faithful for us. I remember. It is so easy to become distracted. It is so easy to forget. It is so easy to not remember that Jesus is the bread of life and that he is enough. As this sermon has been on my heart, and I don't know if you've noticed, but the last few weeks as I've done the benediction, there's a passage of scripture that, has, that I've used that has come to mind. It's going to be on the screen. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. This I recall in my mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord Never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for us as a congregation that we will remember. God, I pray that you are stirring in each heart right now the memories of of what you have done in the past. And as you do, I pray that you will move and fill their hearts with hope. The hope of the reality that you are enough and that you are the bread of life. And God, as as we remember As we hold on to these truths that you are bringing to our minds right now, God, I pray that whatever regret we have, whatever struggles we have, whatever it is that's in our heart that keeps us from being so dependent on you, I pray, God, that we will run to you and just let it go. Because we remember. We remember.